0: Welcome to the Heart and Mind Podcast. I'm Dr. Dennis Wallström, and in this podcast, we take a view of mental health and spirituality. We look at the realms of science and faith and spirituality to help us have a better and richer everyday life. My conversation partner today is Dr. Angela Yi, who's a neuropsychologist, and we'll be having a conversation. On some of these issues of faith and science, uh, and how it affects mental health and thriving in our lives. So, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: I'm really glad to have this uh, this conversation with you. You've uh, you've had some unique training. You've you've got that uh, general psychological training and clinical training as a psychologist, but also a specialty in neuropsychology and uh, which leads you into issues of the brain and the mind and assessing that and so forth. What would you say uh, what, what is the, the unique view that that gives you into, into human beings and people and how we tick?
1: Neuropsychology is a specialty area in psychology. Uh, so I am a licensed psychologist, uh, and then my specialty training, is in assessing and understanding brain behavior. So what that really entails is being able to measure uh, cognitive functioning, so thinking skills like attention, processing speed, language skills, visual, spatial, and perceptual skills, Mm -hmm. um, memory, and an executive functioning in addition to psychological functioning. And that giving us a picture of brain functioning Oftentimes I will assess people when they have experienced changes to their thinking skills, whether it's after a brain injury, a traumatic brain injury or a stroke, or perhaps um, as one ages, there might be changes to memory. And Mm -hmm. so a cognitive evaluation then would be performed as part of a larger process to identify what might these changes be and what might uh, the pattern indicate Of the reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And this unique view, this perspective really allows um, a holistic understanding of a person and why they might behave and feel the way that they do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it doesn't separate somebody's emotional experience from their physical functioning, but it takes Mm -hmm. into account the Interrelated process of how the brain functions, how it affects the body, and then how this all affects how somebody may act or behave or how they might feel. Yeah. Um,
0: so you're really bringing a lot of things together when somebody is presented before you, and and maybe as you were referring to that, maybe they're they're seeing you because they've had some tragedy or some loss in their lives, mm-hmm. and you're helping to answer some questions. Uh, as they face this loss.
1: So part of it is the identification of what are the changes, but then also um, I sub-specialize within neuropsychology and rehabilitation psychology, which really focuses on helping people improve, um, improve mm-hmm. their functioning, but also there is an understandable adjustment process that goes along with, adapting to all of the changes that happens after a significant Mm -hmm. medical change in somebody's life. And so to really walk alongside somebody and help them through that process of adjusting to these changes. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that involves um, creating new parts of their identity that they hadn't really explored or developed Uh before. Um, And so that actually is more of the treatment part of, what I do um, in so addition to the assessment.
0: Yeah, that's definitely part of it then, isn't it? That you you will walk with them, at least some of your patients, and uh, how they can adapt, mm-hmm. how they can improve, how they can even uh, thrive mm-hmm. in spite of having lost something significant maybe in their lives.
1: Absolutely. And I'll have to say, uh, walk next to them or sit next to them or roll next to them because a lot of my (laughs) patients are in wheelchairs uh, Mm -hmm. or some cannot Mm -hmm. walk. And so... Mm -hmm. And um,
0: children too? uh,
1: So I primarily see adults, um, Mm -hmm. maybe going as young as young adults, late teens. Uh, So Mm -hmm. I am an adult neuropsychologist, adult-focused, and not a pediatric neuropsychologist. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my assessment and treatment work Uh, involves primarily working with adults.
0: Okay. So that really summarizes, as a neuropsychologist, you're you're really bringing a lot of things together. Uh, Brain, what we call mind, as well as, you know, family and uh, perhaps even uh, spiritual issues when people lose heart as a result of having gone through something in their lives.
1: Absolutely. A lot of times, encountering changes can completely shatter Uh their worldview of what they thought and how they made sense of the way that the world works. And perhaps they work within a spiritual or religious framework. And it really challenges those beliefs as well when they encounter such significant change to their life. And so it's really being able to not see somebody just from one perspective, like their medical injury. Yes or the, even their emotional or just their psychological experience, but being able to take that holistic perspective of the person through their physical functioning, yeah. their cognitive, their brain functioning, their emotional functioning, and spirituality as well.
0: Now, Angela, I'd be very interested uh, in your observations now. There's a lot of commentary now in, in society that we've gone through these big changes and challenges in everyday life, in school and community and family and so forth. What, what do you think, what impresses you in your work close up with people? What are the, what are the biggest challenges that people are facing now?
1: You know, what's interesting, so I, I work primarily with people who experience some type of disability. And when the pandemic hit... My immediate thought was uh, concern for my clients who may not have access to people or resources and an isolation that they may experience throughout the pandemic. But I was surprised, and I continually learn from my clients. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They actually felt a sense of validation and relief because they felt like you know what everyone now knows what it's like to be in my shoes because uh-huh. I experience isolation every day,
0: hmm.
1: either because they can't drive anymore or they're not able to work. Um, they were ripped from their level normal of functioning in life, and so but they uh, but pre pandemic just experienced that alone, mm-hmm. but now everyone was isolated. And kept mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. being able to do normal activities, and they felt like. Yeah, and
0: as you put it, ripped from their regular lives. Absolutely. Right? That's, that's really puts it powerfully, because that's, I think, how a lot of people felt, right? That school kids were suddenly you know, ripped out of the classroom or, or
1: exactly. uh, people,
0: their work environments, and so on.
1: Yeah. And so I would say um, one of the biggest challenges for the people I work with is social isolation. Yeah. Um, because they might have been working and they no longer can work. So now, instead of going into an office or being having regular contact with people on a daily basis, they're at home. They might not be able to drive. Uh, so not being able to go mm-hmm. out, even to a coffee shop, if they wanted to. Um, I think that is one of the biggest challenges um, that I see people face. And interestingly, even if somebody has the ability to drive or get out and may not have that physical limitation, Mm -hmm. I still see social isolation, being lonely, as a huge challenge, even though somebody may be living a, quote-unquote, very active life. Mm -hmm. Um, Just having that sense of loneliness.
0: Yes, yes. And interesting how you're observing that. Now, broadly, across our communities, there's more and more of this isolation. And strangely, ironically, the isolation brings us together, kind of, in a sense.
1: Mm -hmm. It's a commonality, (laughs) I think, a common denominator that a lot of people perhaps can relate to. And I know that, uh, at least for the individuals I work with, One thing that came out of the pandemic that actually was a positive, and Mm -hmm. I know that technology sometimes can always be placed in this bad reputation category (laughs) because we're kind of overstimulated by technology, Mm -hmm. but being forced to go to a video conferencing format for a lot Mm -hmm. of programs and meetings that normally were all in person, Uh, really gave an opportunity to still find connection, um, even though you're not able to be at a particular place in person. And so not to take away from the value of actually interacting with somebody Mm -hmm. in person. um, But I think that we've been able to find more creative ways to connect people as a result of the pandemic. Yes.
0: It, it helped to have those, uh, have those avenues that could be used uh, in spite of the isolation that we're taken away from one another. Even in our work, we've, we did a lot of work um, with, with a, a, a virtual format or online. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that uh, being able to, I don't know if we'll ever go back fully. I think we mm-hmm. as a world have changed fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think hopefully we can find a balance between being able to connect to people in real life. <laughs> I think that's there's something very unique and important about that. But balancing it with connecting people who may not have those opportunities to be able to connect through other means, through technology.
0: Do you still see that as something important that you encourage people to have that? In person contact develop that in their in their lives.
1: I think that in person is always something that can't necessarily be replaced. Um, from a brain perspective, something happens when we are actually relating to somebody one on one or in a group in person. Um, on a physical, cognitive, emotional level, we're being stimulated in a way that we might not quite get. But being going virtual is better than nothing.
0: Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens, would you say, to the brain when we converse? When we're uh, in contact with each other?
1: One of the things that important tenets uh, that I review with some of my clients uh, in being able to support the brain for healthy aging is not just focusing on the physical. Because we often our minds oftentimes go to, okay, we got to take care of our diet, uh, our nutrition, exercise, and we um, automatically think of that as in supporting healthy aging, which is mm-hmm. absolutely we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there has been a lot of studies uh, completed identifying other factors that really help somebody's brain to age well or to slow uh-huh. down cognitive decline. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with socialization. So individuals who reported that they were a part of social communities, uh, were a part of a social support system, were found to aid their brains to mm-hmm. age slower mm-hmm. and to be more cognitively intact over time. So it slowed down cognitive decline. So what that is really telling us is that there is something that is happening and there might be multiple Mm. factors. It's not one or the other. When we are in relationship with other people and we feel supported, that it is good for our health, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think it's happening on a lot of different levels, Uh, emotional level, when we um, feel supported and don't feel alone and know that if we are... If we need help, uh, we have a community of people to turn to that can really help one's well-being and lower stress. Mm -hmm. Um, Cognitively, when we're actually interacting with people, it's it's actually a very complex task. So we normally don't think of having a conversation or just interacting, being Mm -hmm. out in public as a challenging task but actually our brains are working quite hard.
0: And to many people it is challenging.
1: Yes, yes, and I see that a lot. Uh, We learn so much about the brain um, when when parts of the brain aren't working well. Mm -hmm. And so when parts of the brain are injured, it can be so difficult to maintain the stimulation levels in interactions and socializations, to be able to find the words to communicate to be able to track emotion, facial expressions, changes in body language, adjust our responses based on the tone that we're gathering in the room. Yes, I mean, yes. that we all are doing that automatically, but for some people it's very difficult.
0: Yes, you're touching on some things that people will take for granted that uh, are done automatically. And yet if you just focus on those things uh, to... Watch uh, what's happening in a person's eyes uh, to enjoy the eyes of a young child as you talk to them. There's a feedback. There's, there's something that happens there and even happens to the brain, would you say?
1: Yes. Uh, so we are, our brains are meant to be, are built to, to be in relationship with one another. Mm-hmm. So our brains are essentially wired for connection since birth. Uh, even before birth in utero, uh, our brains are constantly seeking information and ways to connect and with other people. Um, We see babies seeking out facial expressions and responding to their mother's uh, response. And in that way, Mm -hmm. learning uh, how they can relate to the world. And so even from in utero infancy, Yes. We see many different examples of how the brain is really wired to be in connection with other people. And so yes. it makes sense then if we're trying to take care of the brain and support the brain being in social community really exercises mm-hmm. in a way exercises the brain uh for what it was meant to do. Okay. I actually have seen uh some clients who really struggled during the pandemic mm-hmm. because they were isolated and sometimes went for weeks without being able to talk or see or interact with other people. Yes. And that really, their cognitive functioning, their thinking skills took a uh, downturn.
0: Is that that concretely. Their, their Very concrete Their skill level actually dropped.
1: Yes. Yes. When it comes to, being able to think quickly. So processing speed slowed down. And these are ana- kind of my anecdotal observations.
0: But measurable also. But with measurable. The instruments that you've used.
1: Yes. Um, memory. It was harder to. It, it almost like um, they described it as I, I just feel more foggy. Not as alert. Uh, um, yeah. Not as uh, feeling like you had a lot of clarity. And so really feeling like you're just slowed down and that combined with increased anxiety and depression, just really mm-hmm. negatively impacted their functioning overall mm-hmm. um, and That's not really necessarily a, related to yeah. a necessary neurologic condition or disease, mm-hmm. but just lack of stimulation with people. Well, it's, it's a
0: real fundamental, isn't it? That we, we have to be in contact with each other. Um, and, Responding with facial expressions, with laughter, tone of voice—you were—you were mentioning even—even even vocal tone and beyond the content of what we say, and the look in our eyes and our faces. This is all very important feedback. Uh, certainly for for the brain, the brain needs it, but also for you know the whole life, of course.
1: Absolutely, and that feedback then reinforces certain pathways, and when the brain doesn't have that kind of feedback, it just becomes very stagnant. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. We might have heard that kind of phrase, like the brain is like a muscle and Mm. you've got to really exercise it. And so what we know about the brain now is that it can continue to change and grow over time versus the older idea of your Brain develops and then it starts to decline.
0: Yes, and
1: we know there's a natural it's aging very discouraging. process, <laughs>
0: it's
1: very, there's a natural aging process which I have encountered,
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> and I have word finding problems now, <laughs> unfortunately, um, and memory issues. Uh, however, we can still continue to change and grow, create new connections in our brain, and yes. that is such. Good news.
0: Well, and isn't that remarkable, uh, what you just said, that we continue, even well into life, we continue to grow new neurological connections in our brains. And the social encounter is a key part of that.
1: A very key part of it. And when we meet somebody who's new, uh, even better. Mm -hmm. So any kind of interaction with anybody, even familiar family members are good however Mm -hmm. if you place yourself in new situations meeting new people or acquaintances that you Mm -hmm. might not know as well and learn new things that being learning new things your brain being challenged with a novel situation is the ultimate foundation for new growth so change up your routine do something new, learn something new, go out of your comfort zone and talk to somebody who you may not normally talk to, mm-hmm. even if it's at the grocery store. All those small, seemingly small yes. activities actually can have a tremendous impact just on your brain's ability yes. to adapt and
0: grow. Well, you're describing uh, several uh, simple and, and seemingly small things that we carry around with us all the time. They're, uh, so to speak, in our hip pocket that a conversation I have with someone, meeting somebody new, learning something new, like even music, a song, uh, a- a- another language. Yes. A lot of people are doing that these days, uh, developing a new language. Or we can be driving in our car and learning a language. And, uh, and, and, and so on. These are things that we always have with us. I know in my own work, and, and as, as you have I, I in a different way uh, encounter people who just f- are feeling feeling very isolated mm-hmm. and uh, they have a hard time connecting with people. But I also suggest to them as, as you just did that in the small encounters, when you go to Starbucks, call the person by name who is serving you, mm-hmm. meet their eyes. Mm-hmm. Don't walk by somebody and don't look at them as if you just walked by, uh, you know, a tree stump.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And but in those little encounters, we become something more. We are enlivened by it, and as you're pointing out, our 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 brains grow and develop, and and uh, they they need that sort of contact.
1: And what I like what you're describing is that. You're really hitting on a quality. There's a quality of interaction where it's not just Mm -hmm. interaction. Although any kind of interaction is good. Mm -hmm. However, if you can see somebody, truly see them, meet their eye, Mm -hmm. look at their name tag, say their name, humanize them, there's something in that quality of interaction that can actually enrich the level of connection there versus... I'm buying a coffee from you. That's my interaction for the day. There's a different level of quality and depth there.
0: So let's add another dimension explicitly here, because in this podcast, we take a wider view that embraces not only the science, psychological science, mental health science, but also, uh, let's put it this way, the light of faith and spirituality. We bring those together. How would you see the dimension of faith and spirituality as being relevant to this, to what we're talking about?
1: So going back to the groups of people where they found being in a social community to be an important construct for healthy aging and to support the de- the delay of cognitive decline, mm-hmm. another construct that they found is when people as you age, have a sense of purpose and meaning in your life Mm -hmm. that actually improved your quality of life and supported healthy aging. And so oftentimes combining that purpose or meaning with a community, Mm -hmm. these groups were found to be religious or spiritual groups surrounding a shared belief system. And so really these faith communities were serving a purpose of not only supporting one another, but if we're looking at it from a health perspective, overall wellness perspective, it was a Mm -hmm. healthy thing Mm -hmm. to participate in these faith communities. So I think the religious aspect of being able to belong, feel that sense of belonging with a community of people. And not feeling like you're alone and knowing that yes. you've got a group of people. If you need help, let somebody know and they're there for you. Yes, uh, Did something very positive for overall wellness, including brain health. And then on a spiritual level, having this sense of a higher purpose of meaning mm-hmm. in life mm-hmm. that was driving you to wake up every day versus, okay, I'm retired or now I don't work anymore because I've had this brain injury. What do I do now? What's uh, my purpose? Yeah, yeah. And so being able to have a higher purpose that drives you and provides intention behind every action that you do throughout the day mm-hmm. um, is something that actually on a physiologic level had a positive impact. Yes,
0: yes. What um, Fowler, when he wrote about uh, cognitive development and religious development, he uh, he called these centers of meaning and power, or centers of value and power. And then, in a community, if you have the, the if that's shared, you share this defining um, view of of life and the world. Uh, it would seem to be very, very profound. And he he talked about how how people develop, and where there's that stimulus that causes development in spirituality, but also cognitively mm-hmm. at, at the same time.
1: And I think that, you know, we talk about these separate domains, but really we we can't really separate the body from the cognition or metacognition, mm-hmm. from the emotional, from the f- spiritual, and how that is mm-hmm. then interacting with a community of people, yes, because it's all just kind of... Mixed all in there and they affect one another, and one is not equally more important than the other. And I think making sure that we don't forget or yes. overlook these other factors that can really help us be and live the best quality of life as possible um, are important, in addition to our physical health, diet, nutrition, and exercise. Yes, which yep. from a cognitive thinking perspective. There is actually some research now to really show that exercise really has dramatic effects on Mm -hmm. cognition Mm -hmm. in improving um, memory, your processing speed, level of alertness. So again, that just really shows: yes, we do have cognitive rehabilitation therapies to really treat issues, for example, of memory. But we can't just say it's that. It's that holistic perspective. Yes, you gotta keep on exercising and do your brain exercises. (laughs) And be connected to a community of people.
0: Well, and it's interesting to me, Angela, as you've you've pointed out that let's say as we exercise, and I've known a lot of joggers and people who work out and so forth. And it's interesting to me how, as as you've emphasized, we're all you know one one person, one whole person. That I've had a number of people talk about that as they jog, as they walk, as they hike, they have a sense of God or some Hmm. divine purpose or some sense of the universe that um, they just naturally kind of open that up and that's relational as well but that gets into the divine relational you know with Mm -hmm. these religious communities um, are not just content communities Mm -hmm. but they're experiential communities where we're together because there is a presence there's a divine presence that is available to us
1: well I I Dennis, I think you're opening up a, a we could talk for another hour, <laughs> I feel like, on that. Um, just to comment on that, I think that that is so important because there's, that's a perfect example of how when you interact with the body and there's something when you're exercising that, let's say, your nervous system is calming down and mm. regulating, mm. then that's opening up potentially higher metacognitive processes or higher levels of thinking where you can start to have clarity of thought and even a openness because you've paused all the busy thoughts and the anxiety mm-hmm. and you have an openness to be able to connect with a higher power um, or divine being. And so, yeah, that's a very interesting topic we could keep on talking about.
0: And let's talk more about that (laughs) uh, on another podcast. Uh, For another
1: day, for another day.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Angela Yee, for joining us and talking about these really timely topics. And uh, I invite uh, our our listeners to help us reach out uh, by sharing the podcast, giving us uh, a review. Um, We love five-star reviews. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and again, special thanks to Dr. Angela Yi for joining us. And I'm I'm Dennis Wallstrom, your host.